From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, and I am sitting in for Tony Perkins today. You can find this show and every show at TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. Hope you'll check in there. Also, if you want to stay in touch with Washington Watch and all the news that you need from Family Research Council, text the word STAND to 67742. That way we can send you alerts on what you need to do to make the world a better place uh, directly from your cell phone. And we will do that. And we are so glad that you have joined us today. Thankful for your time and our commitment to you is to make sure that you leave better for it hopefully encouraged, and definitely better informed. That's what we do. One other opportunity to do something. If you are in our audience in West Virginia or uh, parts close by West Virginia, this Saturday at 1 o'clock there is a rally urging West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin to take a stand against some of the terrible legislation the U.S. Senate is currently trying to fast-track. We talked on the program yesterday about the Equality Act, and we have talked at length also about H.R. 1, which is the complete rewriting of election laws in a ways that, that are constitutional but also very problematic for uh, the integrity of elections. So that event is going to happen in West Virginia uh, this coming Saturday at 1 o'clock, March 20th, at the West Virginia State Capitol Building in Charleston. Once you get to the Capitol Building, go to the Riverside Lawn by the Governor's Mansion. That event that event is going to be hosted by the West Virginia Family Policy Council and several other groups, including FRC Action. You don't want to miss it this Saturday. Now, for the rest of the program today, we have, uh, we're going to talk about the border, what's going on there. Uh, We're going to talk with Representative uh, Chuck Fleischman in a moment from the great state of Tennessee. He has recently visited the border. It is legitimately a border crisis at this point. It has has fallen apart very quickly in the first several weeks of the Biden administration. We're going to discuss why. We're also going to hear from the mayor of Midland, Texas, whose town is being impacted by what's going on on at the border. Then we're going to stay in the great state of Texas and talk about seven pro-life pieces of legislation that are moving through the legislature there in Texas. Why is the abortion industry not even bothering to oppose them? We'll discuss that with Jonathan Sines, who's the president of Texas Values. And then we will end the program, not in the great state of Texas, but in the great state of California, talking about some new concerning curriculum that they are proposing and potentially making mandatory in California. So stay tuned for all of that. Now to the border, south to the border, just two months into the White House's amnesty experiment, the scene along our southern border is legitimately chaos. Whose fault is it? That's the conversation. According to the Biden administration, it is, of course, Donald Trump's fault. But As things approach this catastrophic level, the Biden administration is trying to cover its tracks and keep as much in the dark as possible. That's the concerning new development here. They are restricting information that Border Patrol agents and sector chiefs can share with the media 
and they are now denying all media requests for ride-alongs with agents along the southern border. And there have been zero ride-alongs to date uh, since the since Joe Biden took office. Joining me now to talk about what's really going on at the border is U.S. Congressman Chuck Fleischman, who represents the 3rd District of Tennessee. He was part of the delegation of House Republicans led by Min- Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy that visited the border in El Paso, Texas on Monday. He's also the ranking member of the Homeland Security Subcommittee on the House Appropriations Committee. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Pleasure to be with you this evening. Thank you for having me, sir. Well, we are thrilled to have you. Tell us what you saw at the border when you were visiting there on Monday. A crisis of monumental proportions, uh, a crisis that could have and should have been avoided uh, an unnecessary crisis of, of uh, humanitarian cost, uh, national security proportions. Uh, this is a mess. Make no doubt about it. This is Joe Biden's border crisis in a nutshell. Uh, now, President Congressman, Trump was, yes. Yeah, I, I, um, because you were there, if you could, uh, you describe this as a crisis. Tell us specifically what it is that you saw that led you to that conclusion. Facilities that were built in 2020 to hold people who came over, migrants who were apprehended, filled to capacity for the first time. And now they're going to have to put tents in the uh, parking lot to hold the overflow. 120 border agents who would have otherwise been on the border protecting the border from uh, illegals, drugs, uh, terrorists from coming over, now reassigned to basically be babysitters because they needed personnel to deal with this. Cost to the American taxpayer uh, of about, oh, $800 per day, maybe more, per illegal uh, migrant coming over, Uh, uh, border patrol agents begging us for help. Uh, We're being, we were told that we could not bring uh, our our cell phone cameras into the facilities. I complied with that. We did, I'm not gonna uh, uh, go against what, what they asked. The reason why they don't want the American people to see the disaster that's going on. That's incredible. So you're you're a, a member of Congress that went to visit the border, and they told you that you couldn't have your phone there because it has a camera. We didn't bring our camera into that facility. That's correct. Did they give an explanation for that, or did they just say hand over your phones? They said, "Do not bring your phones in." That's our rules, and we all complied. All twelve Republicans who were there, members of Congress. Uh, complied with that. Uh, But inside there, it's a problem. And and let me say this. The people who are benefiting from this, the coyotes, the cartels, the drug runners, are taking advantage of this. President Biden not only stopped construction of the wall, uh, but he is promulgating executive orders that exacerbate the problem, that, that that make it worse, and and he's clueless about it. To call this a challenge and not a crisis is ridiculous. The other day, he finally said, uh, thankfully, 
please don't come. Well, they're coming because of him and his rhetoric, the rhetoric of Nancy Pelosi, the rhetoric of Chuck Schumer and the left wing of the Democratic Party. It's destroying this country. We're being overrun. Now, Congressman, the, we've been hearing stories from the border for uh, for a few years. And, of course, in 2018, the, the situation at the border made national news uh, because there were caravans coming to the border. And, and, it, and what to do there was, was a national story then. Then it seemed to quiet down. Now it's in the news again. Can you, can you tell us a little bit what's happening from a policy level that may have led to the, 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 the appearance that things were under, the, under control at the end of the Trump administration to what now is clearly a situation that is not under control? Well, as an appropriator, I worked with President Trump, the administration then, with senators uh, in a bipartisan way. Remember, we funded the border wall in fiscal 2021. There are funds that we said need to go, and that was signed into law. Well, President Biden now is disregarding that. But the bottom line is— when you basically say that the Trump administration policies of keeping our border safe, uh, keeping uh, illegals out, uh, working to, to deal with this situation, keeping our American borders safe, which is a different issue even from, from immigration. Remember this. They caught Yemenis last week. They caught three or four Yemenis coming across. They've, they've caught Chinese. Um, there were people from countries that that you would not imagine coming across a a porous southern border. The reason is Biden incentivized this with his rhetoric. He said when Trump was gone, he said you could come on over. Now what is he saying? Well, don't come now. Uh, he should be saying, look, America is going to enforce its immigration laws. It's America is going to enforce its border security. He's not doing it because he does not want to do it. It does not fit with the left-wing dogma that his, that his party is espousing. How do you think the current situation should be handled? What is the right response? In light of the, the, the rhetoric that has led to this situation, how should he respond that would get this under control again? First of all, restart as Congress directed him to under law finish the border wall where we had started it. Number one, we've appropriated the dollars for it. He should follow the law and and do what we've done for fiscal 2021. Second, stop uh, these ridiculous um, executive orders that he's promulgating that just empowers the coyotes, the cartels, and those migrants. Uh, Thirdly, Sit down with Republicans and Democrats and come up with something comprehensive to get border security to protect the people of the United States and make sure we follow the existing laws on the books. They are not doing this. And what I said on the border, I will say now, because of the problems that he has caused, we are going to see months, if not years, of additional problems Uh, With these illegals being actually released in the United States, they won't show up the vast majority for their hearings, and they will be dispersed uh, along the border. Democratic and Republican mayors all across Texas are screaming for help. Uh, These people are just being brought in in buses 
and released into their communities. It's wrong. This is not uh, an immigration policy. It's an immigration disaster. Uh, it needs to be addressed. And uh, I don't even think Joe Biden knows how to address it. He caused it. They caused it. But I really don't even think he knows where to begin. In the next segment, uh, we're actually going to talk to the mayor of Midland, Texas, who has some thoughts on this. Um, but we've got just about 90 seconds left, and I got one question for you, one more question, I think. The House of Representatives sure. voted on two immigration bills that would provide a path to citizenship for millions who are currently in the country. Can you tell us – do you think those relate to what's going on at the border? What are your thoughts on, on the wisdom of, of those bills? Well, we have got to incentivize legal, not illegal immigration. We have got to incentivize the rule of law. Think of all the wonderful immigrants who came to this country and played by the rules and got it done legally and right. There are here not the folks who come across and get dispersed illegally. So Congress needs to send the right message, not the wrong So, uh, Representative Chuck Fleischman from Tennessee, thank you so much for your for your labors in Congress, and thank you for taking the time to join us today. Really appreciate it. Coming up after the break, we're going to stay in Texas on the border, uh, and we're going to talk to the mayor of Midland, Texas, about how what is going on at the border is affecting him and whether information is not only being withheld from the press and from the public, but from mayors as well. We'll talk about it after the break. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I, I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In our time, North Korea remains one of the world's most, most mysterious countries. Unfortunately, what we do know about North Korea indicates the country is also one of the world's worst abusers of human rights, including violations of religious freedom. The North Korean regime has engaged in an intense crackdown on religion for decades. Today, few religious believers remain, and those who do face grave danger. The secretive nature of the regime, nicknamed the Hermit Kingdom, makes it difficult for American leaders to address these human rights issues. Yet, even though options are limited, the gravity of the situation calls on Western countries to take every action possible to relieve the suffering of the North Korean people, a people who have no chance of speaking up for themselves. To learn more about this important issue, check out FRC's publication titled North Korea, the World's Foremost Violator of Religious Freedom. 
To access the information you need to stay informed, including a list of policy proposals, go to frc.org slash North Korea. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. The strangest, most backward, disrespectful thing I think I've seen in a very long time. And that is the voice of Midland, Texas Mayor Patrick Payton, who is now our guest on Washington Watch. Uh, Mayor Payton, welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much. It's an honor to be here with you. Well, we're glad to have you. Tell us why you said earlier this week, what exactly is the most backward thing you think you've ever seen? Well, the most backward thing that we have uh, ever seen is uh, waking up Sunday morning and in the matter of from Saturday to Sunday morning, finding out that the uh, federal government had signed a lease on a uh, property here in Midland, Texas. That used to be what we call a man camp. It's basically a work resort. And by that night, by Sunday night at 11.30, the first load of uh, miners from the border, unaccompanied miners, would be coming up to this facility that uh, was already staffed by federal employees of all different branches involved in immigration, Federal Protective Services, DHS, Office of of Refugee Resettlement. And uh, to top it all off, I had not been given a phone call by any representative of the Biden administration or the government. The county judge out here had not had a phone call at all. We didn't have any emails sent to us. We just, next thing we knew, we were in um, meetings over the phone with federal employees on Sunday night trying to get as many questions as we could possibly get answered before this facility uh, was propped up. Like I said, the first busload of kids came in. About 11.30, and as of today, we have right at 500 kids in the facility with uh, the news I got this morning, which I'm sure it's already past this, is 53 of them, COVID positive. Um, And we're just trying to deal with the uh, fallout of an immigration detention center being propped up in the middle of our community without anybody being told about it or asked about it. Now, Mayor, most of us have not been the mayor of a city before, and so we haven't had experience interacting with state or federal uh, authorities as representatives of a city. How unusual was this incident and this experience? Was it really different than what you've experienced in the past? Well, it would probably be um, 
best to help you to know that I was sworn into office January of 2020. So my first year in office has included um, an economic downturn, uh, COVID-19. We've had over a month of communist protesters here in uh, Midland, Texas. We've had uh, record weather incidences. Uh, and now we It's have been a fun year for you, it sounds like. It's been a really fun year. But when I talk to those who have been in governance and done these various things, um, nobody can remember anything like this. And the reality, let me make it even more backwards. Nobody even from our state, our governor's office, wasn't even given a heads up of this taking place. And, and so the worst part about it is when you start working with the federal government, what you find out is, and I, I wish I was being sarcastic here, but the whole thing that Jen Psaki does where she says she'll circle back, nearly every meeting we have with the different offices involved in this, it's just greeted with, well, we really understand your concerns. We're very sorry you're going through this. We'll try to get back with you with an answer. And um, it, it's just the most bizarre, frustrating, but also maddening and dangerous and precedent-setting because when they tell us they're only going to be here for a moment, I just got a picture sent from the facility today. They've already put up poles, and they're getting ready to put up a 8- to 10-foot security fence with a blackout shade around it. So everything is just surreal and monumentally out of control, and we haven't even started talking about the kids, quote-unquote yeah. kids, who are all males, 13 through 17 years old, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. It doesn't even take a social worker to understand the worry we have at a level um, sure. related to trafficking and so forth. How many people have been dropped off in Midland to this point? Right now it's 500 with, uh, well, to be fair, I've rounded up. It's about 485. So 485 to 500, the max is going to be 700, but my... Um, what appears to be happening is they're already at max capacity because the facility holds 700 and there's nearly uh, 200 um, workers from the federal government involved in the process as well. So they're pretty much at max. Are you aware of other cities in Texas or maybe other states where this is happening, where cities are just kind of having these these settlements um, created by the federal yeah. government? We have one other city that, uh, for the life of me, it has just escaped my brain. But the other city that hasn't escaped my brain is Dallas, Texas. So uh, Dallas um, has uh, been told that they're going to be housing up to possibly 3,000 of these unaccompanied minors uh, in the convention center right in downtown Dallas. So uh, the interesting thing about it is the federal government told us they had been negotiating and working with the city leaders in Dallas, and which we thought was a bit interesting, is why Dallas was able to get some phone calls and have some conversations, whereas we were informed, and within 24 hours, we have that facility here. But Dallas is going to be the next location as well. Do you have a sense at this point of what the future is? Are they, they, They've told you that there's going to be a limit to the number of people you brought, but do you have a, an idea of how long they're going to be there and where they're going to go when, they're, when they leave? Well, uh, really the simple answer to that is no. Um, we have been – what I do know is the contractor uh, had a contract with the federal government for 90 days for this facility. I'm not sure you put up a full-blown privacy fence for just 90 days with an option to renew for another 90 days. And um, 
we have been told that the plan is for this facility to only be used for this first group of, of unaccompanied minors, although it's very, very, very difficult to believe that as well. And the last and most concerning thing to your question, which we have asked repeatedly and have not gotten answers to, is where are these kids going once they're released? And that is a really reasonable question. Where are they going? Are they going into the middle of our town? Are they going back where they came from? Where are they going? And for yep. for really understandable reasons, um, people are concerned. But, Mayor, we appreciate your efforts. We will be praying for you because it sounds like it's been a tough year, and we appreciate your <laughs> service uh, to your community. And thank you for your time today as well. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. And that is Mayor Patrick Payton, who is doing real work in Midland, Texas, uh, in response to what's going on at the border. Stay with us after the break. We'll talk about more from Texas about pro-life legislation. we got some good news, too, out of Texas. Stay with us. The history of religious persecution in China is extensive, and many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting frc.org China. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed, so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, i definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download, or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, and I am sitting in for Tony Perkins today. A reminder for those of you in West Virginia that this Saturday at 1 o'clock, there will be a rally at the West Virginia State Capitol building to urge Senator Joe Manchin to take a stand against some of the terrible legislation that is currently being considered in the U.S. Senate, like the Equality Act and H.R. 1, the Corrupt Politicians Act that would totally reform the uh, electoral system in really dangerous uh, and concerning ways. So if you are in West Virginia or near, be there at the Capitol this Saturday at 1 o'clock. Now, 
back to Texas. The Texas Senate State Affairs Committee overwhelmingly approved a slate of abortion restrictions Tuesday and sent them to the full chamber for consideration. With me now to take a look at those bills is Jonathan Sines, president of Texas Values, who testified on these bills and also happens to be a great Texan, a great American, and a great friend. Jonathan, welcome to Washington Watch. Hey, Joseph. It's great to be with you. Well, we're glad to have you, and we're glad that you are the bearer of some good news. Uh, tell those, tell us, what is happening in Texas on the life issue? Well, Texas is right in the middle of its legislative session. You know, we meet every other year on odd years. That's this year. And we're about halfway through, and things are starting to move. And we're excited about it because we do care about the pro-life issue. That's a key issue and one of the three principles that we work on. And there was a very long hearing on Monday but boy, was it worth it. Senate State Affairs had a uh, hours-long hearing that went past midnight. Somehow ended up being the last one to testify, but not the only one. And several members of our team testified. As a matter of fact, there were no one there that testified from the pro-abortion side. You had a tremendous amount of pro-life testimony, a lot of great information. And the very next day, that same committee decided to vote on these issues and take yeah. quick action. Many of these are priority items by our lieutenant governor. So I'll start listing Point. them off. Senate Bill 8 is the heartbeat bill in the state of Texas, and it makes it clear that if a heartbeat, bill is, a heartbeat is detected in an unborn child, that abortion cannot be performed. And if, uh, and if an abortion is performed, there are civil penalties. Individuals can file lawsuits. It's not criminal, um, as you've seen yeah. some states do, but there's a civil penalty. The next one is Senate Bill 9. This is the Human Life Protection Act. This is really a bill that's set up if Roe versus Wade is overturned. Then we go back to some of the state laws. That issue moved forward, got a lot of testimony in support of it. That was approved by the committee. Also, Senate Bill 394, which puts restrictions in place and regulations regarding chemical abortions. We've seen how much of a concern that's been for a lot of people across the state. Um, and then other variety of measures that related to uh, notification and, and uh, informed consent, but also uh, laws against uh, um, against discriminatory abortion, Senate Bill 1173, and then a, a, a bill that really put a lot of this together, Senate Bill, uh, going back to my list here, Senate Bill 1647, really sort of an omnibus bill um, that was put forth by Senator Perry. Senator Hughes is the author, Brian Hughes is the author of the heartbeat bill, Senate Bill 8, and he's also the chair yeah. of the State Affairs Committee. Now, Jonathan, you said that no one came to oppose these bills during the hearing. Did I hear that correctly? Well, I'll, 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 I'll qualify it. There were some people there that uh, were asking for some of the bills to be stronger or to have a little bit more of a different approach. But a lot of those were pro-lifers that, you know, they, they're like a lot of us. They're frustrated because they want abortion abolished. They want Roe versus Wade mm -hmm. to be done. And so I want to just qualify that so people realize that some of those people might have stated that they have concerns or they're opposed to the legislation, but it's not because they're pro-abortion. It's because they're pro-life and they want a different approach to this matter. And so, but no one that we usually see from the pro-abortion side testified at the hearing. They might have dropped, uh, they might have filled out witness cards, but there wasn't any live testimony that I can recall uh, of the hours of the hearing. Why do you think that is? Has has the abortion lobby in Texas just surrendered? Well, no, I mean, we're, and we know that's not true, right? And so it's it, it's notable. It would be nice to know. 
Yeah, right. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with their objections and sort of protest to the fact that the legislature is meeting in person and the governor has dropped a mask mandate, even though um, uh, in the Senate chamber they're asking you to wear a mask. If you walk to the Capitol, you don't have to. And so I think it has something to do with that because they posted some things on social media suggesting that. But they weren't shut out from the hearing. They certainly could have been there. Uh, but I think some of them want virtual testimony and things of that nature. And so it might have been a little bit of a – and I'm sort of guessing. This is sort of just some activity that sure. I've seen. But they have not for a second – given up on fighting against pro-life legislation. And I don't want people to think that because there's still some work to do. Uh, these bills have to go to the full Senate, which I expect mm -hmm. that they're going to be uh, passed there because – and one specifically, Senate Bill 8, the heartbeat bill, there's already a majority of the senators in the Senate that have signed their name on it supporting. So we know that's there, and I would imagine we'll see that in other bills uh, of you know other pro-life bills, but we get into the House. There are 150 members and 83 are Republican, and they're pro-life as we know. Many of them, if not all of them, uh, but just because more members are over there, you're likely to see uh, it be a little bit more difficult, or there be more activity or opportunities for the issues to break down. Sure. Now, Jonathan, there are a lot of Washington Watch listeners in Texas. If they are in Texas, what should they do to be supportive of these bills? Well, they need to talk to their elected officials right away because the session is not going to last much longer. Go to txvaluesaction.org. We're just putting an action alert right now, an update, txvaluesaction.org. Get connected with us, and we'll help you get connected with your Texas House and Senate member, and we'll get these pro-life bills passed. That's txactionvalues.org. Jonathan Signs from Texas Values, thanks for your time, and thanks for working so hard in Texas. God bless you. Great to be with you. Coming up, schools in California may very soon be teaching idolatry. We're going to talk about it with FRC's David Clausen, the proposed ethnic studies model curriculum. You don't want to miss it. Coming up after the break. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However, because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. 
there is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication clearly explains the Hyde Amendment and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Access this important information by visiting frc.org Hyde. What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservative, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony Perkins today. You can find the program at TonyPerkins.com. When it comes to specific classes, there's not much that the state of California requires all high school students to do. They require only three years of English and two years of math. Those are the only requirements. Now, they want to add one more subject. But it's not what you might think it would be. It's not biology or geography or history. It's ethnic studies, which may raise some eyebrows until you've gone through the 894-page curriculum and realize what it includes. At that point, it raises eyebrows and red flags. Among the items that students would be taught is how white Christian settlers committed, quote, theocide against indigenous tribes when they arrived in the New World by murdering Native American gods and replacing them with the Christian god. Even more alarming, the curriculum includes an official, quote, ethnic studies community chant to the little gods of the Aztecs. Uh, The specific gods that they're supposed to chant to in the curriculum are Tetzatlipoca, uh, Quetzalcoatl, Huitzapotl, and uh, I don't know, this is, I'm not good at pronouncing my Aztec gods, apparently. But joining me now to maybe help me with my pronunciations and talk about all of this in this stunning proposal is David Clausen, the Director of Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview at Family Research Council. David, good to have you. Thanks for having me on again, Joseph. Well, can you help me with the pronunciations at all? This is like, a, this is like pronouncing all the new pronouns we have. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to help you pronounce those names. I, I looked at them, too, and frankly, Joseph, I don't know how much I can help uh, even unpack what this thing is being proposed, actually potentially being voted on right now in California. When I when I first read this, I really thought this was something that the Babylon Bee, you know, the Christian satire site, or the Onion, I, I really did think this was satire until I actually realized this was serious, and it really is as bad as you just described it. Remember the days of the separation of church and state? 
where we weren't, you know, it, it, 60 years ago, they were insisting that we shouldn't have prayer in, in public schools. And now the curriculum is reintroducing pants to Aztec gods. You know, how things change, right? Yeah, how, how things change. And, you know, it, it, on its surface, uh, Joseph, this is patently, obviously unconstitutional, because like you mentioned, um, and it's interesting. This is actually, I think, the third iteration of this proposed curriculum. The, the first iteration uh, actually had a lot of anti-Semitism in it, uh, was, was just anti-Israel bias in there as well. Um, but even this third iteration has very problematic things that, again, are patently unconstitutional. The teachers are in – actually, before I came on the show, uh, tried to make my way through part of this 894-page proposal – and uh, this is it, it really does. Their teachers are encouraged to lead chants and songs and prayers um, to Aztec gods. One of the, the Aztec gods that they're supposed to chant and clap and pray to uh, was worshipped in the 14th and 6th through the 16th centuries with child sacrifice. And yet they want to do this kind of cultural, ethnic, you know. Uh, <laughs> thing where they're praising this god who is just a pagan god and so, so this it, is problematic on multiple fronts it's not on one level it's it's ridiculous and humorous in a ridiculous sense but we we joke a lot about um moloch kind of being the god of planned parenthood and and the sacrifices yeah. that are offered um to you know, literally the child sacrifices to Moloch on behalf of the abortion industry or done by the abortion industry. And it's really no laughing matter, but California being California and how aggressively pro-abortion it is, it's, it's, a, it's something we discuss by, by way of analogy. But this seems so overt that we're actually going to introduce, and, and you just made a connection, to these gods that they're instructed to chant to in this curriculum who actually received child sacrifices 600 years ago. Do, did they do any research? Do they not care about the background of this, or is this just about being diverse? I think it's about being diverse. I think it's about being as woke as they possibly can. And, you know, Joseph, what's kind of crazy about this, this is so extreme that when this was actually offered up last year, Governor Gavin Newsom, probably one of the most leftist governors in this country, actually vetoed it. He, he, he didn't like even the first iteration. But, again, it's just not, it's not just this woke kind of weird pagan worship that's included in this curriculum. It actually is what I would just call complete revision of American history. In fact, um, if, you, if you do a little bit of research, um, the, the original co-chair of this ethnic studies uh, curriculum, he, he's actually written a book about early American history, and his book cited uh, several times in this curriculum. And what he actually argues is the United States was founded, and here's the quote, he says it was founded on a quote, Eurocentric, white supremacist, racist, anti-black, anti-indigenous, classist, patriarchal, sexist, misogynistic, heteropatriarchal, homophobic, and anthropocentric paradigm brought from Europe. If that doesn't tell you the, the, the worldview, the way they think about history, the way they're really reintroducing class warfare, uh, that really tells you everything you need to know about the worldview of those who have written this curriculum, again, that would not just affect a few kids in some crazy school in Los right. Angeles. This would actually be imposed on 6 million children in the California public school system, which would have very real-world consequences. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting as you read that description of 
America and where it came from. We spent the first half of the program today talking about what's going on at the border as people, um, not white people, flood the border trying to get into this country. And yet you have white people in the country insisting that this country is inherently and systemically and exclusively horrible to people who are not white when you have a lot of evidence that suggests uh, that everybody is benefiting from what this country is. Is it perfect? Of course not. Um, but there is a bit of irony to me in in the timing of this story and the insistence culturally that everything in America, everything about America is terrible and racist, while there are people of every language, tribe, and tongue throughout the world trying to get here. And I think it's worth kind of noting that. But I, w- I want to talk to you about another term that came up. It might even be a, a a new term to me introduced in this curriculum, this term of theicide and the idea that um, the people who came to the Americas from Europe actually killed the Aztec gods. Is this a, is this a term you're familiar with? It's actually a term I was not familiar with. I, I Googled it. and it, I don't even think it actually has a, a dictionary.com or Merriam-Webster uh, entry. Uh, but but what if you if you read the curriculum, which I was trying to read part of this proposal, they do make the argument uh, that white Christians committed what they call theocide. So I guess the kind of genocide, but theocide, the, the killing, the murdering of Indian gods, and then replacing them with the God of the Bible, which is why uh, you know these ideas have consequences because uh, apparently white Christians committed theocide. That's why they want to introduce these chants, these songs, these prayers to kind of uh, make right to, to, to resurrect or at least right the wrongs of, you know, these injustices that are alleged to have been committed. And, you know, Joseph, you and I on this show and when, when Tony's on the show, you know, we're, we're, sure, American history is not perfect. But there are things that happened, you know, the founding of the country during westward expansion that, that were not good. But to completely just with a generalized statement saying everything that happened was theocide against these Indian gods, that's an insane revision of American history that is really just a brainwashing of what would be six million children in California. Yeah, in, in one sense, it doesn't bother me at all because I, th- I think it is true in many ways that a, a the real god – has supplanted false gods, and that is, of course, this the story of the gospel, right? Um, this is not new. Uh, the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the real God had this stand down, you know, thousands of years ago, and ever since then, there's been this conflict between pagan gods, pagan idols, and the real God. So that dynamic is not necessarily real. I'm just not used to um, people kind of overtly taking in, in kind of American education taking the side of the pagan gods against the real God. Because in theory, if theocide was once committed against these Aztec gods that were recipients of child sacrifice, wouldn't they be attempting theocide against the Christian God? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fair question. You would, I guess you'd think so. But, you know, I think what, the language we need to realize, Joseph, what's happening here, this again— under the guise of ethnic studies, which, you know, that sounds fairly innocent and fairly nebulous, you know, ethnic studies. Sure, you know, multiple culturalism, that's good. Really, I think National Review, their editorial board, they put out uh, an article early this morning about this, and I think they got it right 
when they call this um, a political catechism. Uh, that, that's what this is. This is an attempt to indoctrinate children into identity politics and intersectionality, which essentially has become the new religion of the very progressive secular left. And again, people like you and I and like many of our listeners who are Christians who believe in the triune God of the Old and New Testament, uh, we are no longer – not only are we not welcome in the public square, we're seen as something that is dangerous and subversive to the common good. And again, we, we need to push back against that and, right. uh, with a clear attempt to rewrite history. And what we need to do is we need to be raising the alarm for every parent uh, who has their child in a public school, because what starts in California will not stay in California, as we've seen with other issues in the past, such as no-fault divorce, gay marriage, and what have you. This should right. be a red alarm to every parent in this country that this is coming to a schoolroom near you very soon. Yeah, I, I think that's an important point. I want to get there, but I also want an interesting other contrast just in the news this week out of Florida. Right, Florida's a very different state than California, and Governor DeSantis there um, made the proclamation that critical race theory is not worth – I think his, his term was one red cent was the phrase he said. It's not worth one red cent to teach this to the kids in the Florida public schools, right? So you have this contrast where in California it's on the, it's on the cusp of being required, and in Florida it's essentially being forbidden. Very different choices, right? And that's happening state to state. How do how should parents be responding to this? How serious is this? If you're a parent, a Christian parent with kids in public schools in California, what should they be doing? Well, my my first advice is to get the kids out of public school. I think there was a time where you could say, you know, my my child's going to be a missionary on their public school campus, and and frankly, at this point, Joseph, I think that's misguided. If I'm being really honest, I, I think the public schools are getting so bad that it's increasingly difficult to see how that's a good idea. However, I do know that for some Christian parents, uh, public school or private school or homeschool or something else maybe not be an option for them. And I think they need, just need to get engaged with their local school board. Um, one of the reasons this curriculum that we're talking about is now in its third iteration is because when it was first introduced and it had even more problematic elements, there was a big outcry. Uh, they received tens of thousands of comments, which actually forced them to walk it back a little bit on some of the issues that seemed to be very anti-Semitic and kind of rewriting uh, other parts of history. And so I, I think parents need to take ownership of their child's education. As a parent, I would tell any parent in this country, you have a stewardship responsibility when it comes to your child's education. You have to be involved. If you can't homeschool your kid or put them in a, a Christian school, you need to be at the school board meetings. You need to be maybe running for office. So you're the one that's voting on this. Um, but we need yeah. to be engaged because if we're not engaged, well, the secular left will indoctrinate our children. My advice would kind of be a combination of those um, where you you do want to seek the welfare of the city to which he has sent you. And, and if God has you in a in a state like California or a city in, in California or wherever you are, it is our obligation to seek the well-being of the place that God has sent us and be and be good stewards of that opportunity. But the first responsibility that parents have is to train their kids, raise their kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord and and to put them in an environment where they're going to learn to love the right things. And so for Christian parents who are in California or wherever they are, I think 
it's not just about the facts because we can look at something like this and say, well, that's that's obviously absurd. We're not going to my kids not going to start chanting to Aztec gods and start worshiping false idols because this is in the curriculum. And hopefully that is true. But the fear is not simply that my kid is going to start chanting to pagan gods. The, the, the fear is also that that environment is just going to shape their heart and push them in directions that even if they don't overtly reject the real God and turn to idols, there's other concerns. There's, there, there's, a, there's a problem that can develop even just being in that environment short of that, isn't there? Isn't there more that parents need to be concerned about? No, there is, Joseph, and I view this as a matter of discipleship. Um, your kid's going to be in school, wherever they're at school, 40 hours a week, and frankly, the one or two hours you have them in the evening, uh, the one hour they go to church, maybe a one hour they go to youth group on a Sunday or Wednesday night, that's simply not enough to counter uh, these influences. And so I think Christian parents need to really think in terms of discipleship. And like you said, if you're in that environment for 40 hours a week, that's going to cultivate what you love. It's going to shape you. It's going to form you. It's going to give you a worldview, and it's going to be hard to counteract that. That's a good word. This is David Clausen, Director of Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview at Family Research Council. David, thanks again for your time and for your wisdom as well. Look forward to the next time. Thank you, Joseph. And for the rest of you, do take this to heart. Uh, What you love, the environment that you're in, makes a big, big difference. And for those of you who are parents, wrestling through this culture with your kids, there is nothing more important than their souls. Uh, I, I don't think it's possible that we can invest too much in them and one day regret that we sacrifice too much for our kids. So the Lord be with you, give you wisdom, and we will talk to you on Washington Watch tomorrow. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.